Practical Medicine Podcast, and I am Dr. Stephanie Lipnicki, and Dr. Rob Balco is absent today, so Christian is yeah. going to step the in. The voice of God is here <laughs> to join in on the podcast. And he'll throw questions at me if uh, he if they come up for him. Otherwise, I'm just going to share information today. Um, the well, it's mis- important information. It if is. It's coming from this show. It's exactly. important information, people, so yeah. stick around. And I didn't want to let it go. So um, it's the mission of the podcast um, to bring awareness to the public at large about many different ways to maintain health and heal your body, mind, and spirit from acupuncture to Zen living and everything in between. So this is episode 13, and it is about heart health in honor of Heart Health Awareness Month. And I'm going to share a little bit about the Eastern point of view of the heart and the Western point of view. I was initially going to start with the traditional Asian medicine point of view, but I figured I would start with the Western and end with um, traditional Asian medicine. So we end on the note of the medicine that um, Dr. Rob and I practice, even though I'm sharing it with you by myself. Hey, no worries. So um, in Western medicine the focus is on the physical aspect of the heart and uh, in asian medicine it's more about the emotional aspect of the heart so i wanted to share some of the conditions that and statistics and things that i felt people needed to be aware of in honor of heart health awareness month and Mm. i am not a cardiac specialist my i have my western background is the western background that we get in acupuncture school but there are some basic things that i think are important things that i wanted to share so some heart disease statistics every year heart disease kills one in four people so that's about six hundred and fifty-five thousand americans one that's and that works out to be one person every 36 seconds dying of cardiovascular disease and it is the leading cause of death in men and it costs about 219 billion dollars per year that was as of a 2014 2015 um statistic now is this just that's with just heart disease specifically or is that just like general cardiac events heart heart disease just heart okay And then you have um, coronary artery disease, which is where the arteries that are supplying the heart itself start to get narrow and blocked. So the term is that it's caused by atherosclerosis, which is these cholesterol and fatty deposits that are sort of accumulating in those vessels, blocking the supply that the heart needs in order to work. So the heart pumps blood, but it also has its own blood supply. Mm-hmm. So this is the most common type of heart disease. 18, 18.2 million adults, so that's uh, adults 20 and older, have coronary artery disease. Um, two out of 10 deaths are under the age of 65. Damn. So young. So Age 20 is when it's when you can start to be susceptible to getting something right. like that. So, like, what are some signs people can, like, look for? I know it's kind of hard. It's, with- it's the testing that you want to have with your physician, having your cholesterol checked, things like that. Knowing that there's a family history 
mm-hmm. that's something that you would want to think about. So okay. if, if no one in your family has had a history of it um, and you're eating fairly well, then you don't have to worry about it as greatly. And I'll talk about some of the cofactors that go along with, you know, putting people more at risk. Gotcha. Um, in terms of a heart attack, someone has a heart attack every 40 seconds. Every year, 805,000 Americans have a heart attack. 605,000 of those, it's a first heart attack. And 200,000 have had a previous heart attack. And then one in five heart attacks are silent. Silent. Meaning that you have some sort of testing later on in your life and they find out that you had had a heart attack previously. Really? So you could walk around and it happened and it Right, doesn't... or maybe you think it's indigestion, you think it's, I mean, a lot of people end up in the emergency room thinking they're having a heart attack and it is indigestion. Some people might think they have indigestion and, and it's it actually a heart, a heart attack. attack. Exactly. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, and there's ways that they can look at that when they examine, there's certain testing that they can do and see that there has been previous damage to the heart. Mm-hmm. So, There's a certain number of risk factors that are manageable risk factors, things like choosing not to smoke. Um, When Rob and I were preparing for this, we were talking about, I still have such a hard time wrapping my brain around people still smoking. I feel like unless (sighs) you're on fire, you shouldn't be smoking. Mm. <laughs> it's it's such a hard one for me because unless just, you're on fire, unless you're melting, like it's like there's yeah. rules here, people. Like you don't have to do it. Right. Like I'm, I, I'm with you. It, it's it's in my family and it's infuriating. Yeah, I mean, I the, I've been in the car sometimes and I see people flick the cigarette still out the window and I'm like, okay, one, now I hate you because you're smoking and doing that to yourself and because you're littering. Like, don't be a dick. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm sorry. No, 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 that's okay. <laughs> In fact, we were saying that, like, when you, you know, being that we're on the East Coast and we go to the shore a lot and the beaches are all close to here, the number of people who just smoke and put their cigarettes out like in the sand and then just leave their little pile of cigarette butts in the sand, how gross it is. See, I'm lucky enough that the mo- the smokers that I know have manners. They put it in a bottle like most people should and then throw it out later. But even then, don't do it. Like, yeah, come on. just don't smoke. Just don't. Um, An unhealthy diet, you know, if somebody is making their own food versus a steady diet of fast food, it's a little bit healthier if you're making your own foods. Or even like some people are predisposed to, like I can eat high amounts of fat and my cholesterol stays relatively low. Some people have a familial history of high cholesterol. I have an aunt who I think on medication, her cholesterol can still be like 400. So you don't want to add to it, but either way, she's going to have to be on medication. Yeah. Um, Overweight, obesity, then combined with these other things. So, like, if you're overweight but you're not sedentary, it kind of balances itself out. And then sedentary lifestyle, like if you're smoking, eating McDonald's three times a day and sitting on the couch, you're at more risk of somebody who's like, well, once a week I'm going to have McDonald's and – but I'm active and I go biking and those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, alcohol use contributes to it. Um, if someone has diabetes, and when I think of diabetes, I think of unmanaged diabetes, the person who either is 
insulin dependent and has been the whole entire time, but they're not managing it well, or someone who has later onset diabetes and they might be on an oral prescription for it, but they're still not managing it well. They're not trying to take the steps to counter. To, to be better. Right. And then unmanaged high blood pressure. And I always think of um, when I was in school, not when I was at Rutgers, but when I was in acupuncture school, I had a teacher who used to say, if you have a patient who comes in and they tell you that they have high blood pressure and they say to you that they only take their blood pressure medication when they feel like their blood pressure is high, (laughs) she said that they're not managing it. Why would they tell that to an acupuncturist? Well, they might say that, yeah, because you're asking their health history. Like if okay, someone comes okay. in and they say, they like, and I ask them, do you have high blood pressure? And they say and they, yes. Only when I take, only when I feel like I do. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, <laughs> you need to be on it all the time. And the way that the teacher explained it was that because of the way that the blood is like pumping so fast, it creates like microtrauma to the vessels, which then your body has to repair. So it makes these little tiny repairs, but those can then lead to becoming plaques, which make the arteries smaller. It's like how they fix the roadways in Jersey. They kind of just they just keep patching them up until later on it just becomes a big pothole of a mess. Exactly. That we have to pay a lot more to clean up. Right. Exactly. So your heart is like New Jersey people. Yeah. That's that's a great analogy. But then there are things that are not things that we can control, like age hereditary things like if your whole family has a history you need to make sure you're on top of all the other things so that you're not putting yourself at higher risk so then mind if i ask you a question then because i because I, I come from a family where where diabetes is prevalent my, my father had it my sister has it okay and i'm a bigger gentleman and i and i like to think i eat relatively okay i mean i'm on the heftier side but i still to think I'm okay, like I take care, but right. but like what is like what do you? I would say making sure you stay active, making sure that if if you're you don't have diabetes, that you're making sure that you get the blood work to check. There's a, a marker called the A1C marker, mm-hmm. and it will tell you if you're on the cusp of having your blood sugar running a little bit high and monitoring that. Okay. So, and like I said, being more active definitely. And, and and eating healthy foods. Um, previous history of stroke will, which that, you know, Dr. Rob covered stroke in another episode, and we talk about the different things that lead up to that in that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, gender plays a role in it. Um, as I said previously, men are at a higher risk of a lot of these heart disease factors. And then... Um, while I'm not going to go into the different race factors, there are certain um, factors with race that predispose people to having greater risks of it. And then, you know, certain inflammatory diseases. I, I've, I know of more than one instance where someone had, um, like in, in my dad's case, he had MS. He had diabetes later on, but it wasn't weight-related. He was thin. I think it was just as a cofactor of having the multiple sclerosis. And then I think they had done one or two scans and found out that he had had a heart attack at one point. So then you're in that category. Mm-hmm. I also know somebody else who had diabetes, then was diagnosed with MS and had a heart attack. And she's roughly, you know, we're the same age. Wow. So, um, and then another thing that I thought was important in terms of Western things was to know 
the heart attack signs for women versus men because women tend to be dismissed when it comes to heart attacks. So while both women and men can can have chest pain, like a squeezing chest pain. When they're they they can have the, I'm coming, Elizabeth. Yes. Yeah, okay, okay. But women don't always have that. It seems to be that men have that a little bit more. Women have the symptom of pain or pressure lower in the chest or in the abdomen, but men tend not to have that symptom. Um, both can have jaw, neck, and back pain, but for women it tends to be more of an upper back pain, whereas you know men it'll like go a little bit lower for the back pain. Really? I didn't yeah. know back pain was associated also with a heart attack. Yeah, and then that pain going down the, the left arm. Oh, okay. The left arm specifically? Yeah, it's usually the left arm because the heart is located closer to the left side. Um, and I'll talk a little bit when we get into the eastern part of it that, um, you know, that pathology of going down the arm makes sense in our medicine because of channel location. Mm -hmm. um, both can have shortness of breath, but women can also faint, have indigestion, and extreme fatigue. So the extreme fatigue becomes worrisome because for women, a lot of women are running, and, and we had the podcast with um, Caitlin Donovan talking about burnout. A lot of women feel like they're exhausted all the time anyway. They're trying to work, and they're trying to run a household, and they're trying to... So they may have this extreme fatigue and just be blowing it off for a long period of time, but straining their heart. Mm. Um, and then I also wanted to just touch on um, high blood pressure and hypertension because that's considered a silent killer. Because unless you are monitoring your blood pressure, and this goes back to the you know person saying, well, I only take my blood pressure medication if I feel like I'm... Lightheaded or whatever. Yeah, if I feel like my blood pressure is high, it doesn't always feel high. You can have high blood pressure and not have any symptoms of having the high blood pressure. So um, getting in for regular physicals. And the thing with a regular physical, though, is a lot of people will have what they call um, white coat syndrome, where when they get into the doctor's office, their blood pressure is high just because they're uh, there and they see the white coat. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think it's good to maybe have it checked at other times. I get the and... same thing, but it's with bill collectors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that every time. When yeah, my man, it's crazy. That, that, that applies to a bunch of different things, I would, I would, yes. I would, I would say. So, um, and I, I sent um, Ming a, an image, if you could pull it up, of the blood pressure categories. Mm -hmm. I'll try and find it. It's the one with all the pretty colors. There we go. There we go. Um, that normal blood pressure is um, where the upper number is less than 120 and the lower number is less than 80. Elevated is where the top number is 120 to 129, but the bottom number is still less than 80. And then high blood pressure moves, it moves into that phase when the blood pressure is 130 to 139 over 80 to 89. Um, and that's just the beginning of it. They, a doctor may monitor you. They may not put you on anything right away. They may check you more frequently. Once it tends to get to 140 or higher, um, they'll put you on medication. And then anything over 180, over 120, they consider that, like, you need to go. You're, you're having an emergency. Yeah, you need to go and get checked immediately. Um, That's insane. Yep. 
So some of the tests associated that I consider associated with heart health are the blood sugar A1C. So that's to monitor whether someone is in the beginning stages of maybe becoming diabetic, having trouble with their blood sugar, mm -hmm. um, having cholesterol and triglycerides, both numbers checked. So if, and you want to know whether the, I go by the total number, but monitoring that, okay. I, I tend to have lower triglycerides and then like, Christian knows Andrew, my boyfriend. He tends to have higher, higher cholesterol, higher triglycerides. I have low cholesterol, low triglycerides. Okay. Um, if you think that you're someone who has a lot of inflammation, there's a test called HSCRP, HSCRP, high sensitivity C-reactive protein that can tell whether somebody has inflammation issues. Mm -hmm. Getting your blood pressure checked, and then. Men over 40 and women over 50, a lot of doctors will do a cardiac calcium score, and it is a test that shows plaque deposits in the heart that can show the risks of heart problems. Um, so that, that's a little bit about the Western. Um, you know, there's so much more, but as someone who's not a cardiologist, I, yeah. I'm going to share some from the the traditional Asian medicine perspective. And this is just some general information that you just felt yeah. like was important. Exactly. Just so that, you know, and and most practitioners, I if somebody if I suspect someone is going to have a is having blood pressure issues, I will check them because acupuncture can help lower blood pressure. So that's, you know, most acupuncturists will have a cuff on their in their clinic that they can monitor. Yeah, monitor okay. and check. Um so as I said before, when we consider heart health, we're um, considering the emotional aspect. And in our medicine, we're also looking at the pericardium. So that's the sac around the heart, but it has its own meridian. So when I said about the pain going down the arm, the channels for the heart and the pericardium go down the arm, both arms um, on the inside. So like heart goes along this way and pericardium goes down the center. And traditionally, we're taught in school that historically they initially didn't needle the points on the heart meridian. They needled the pericardium points because that protected the heart and was said to still affect the heart. Um, so as its role in protecting the heart, it, it allows the heart to function emotionally and allows the heart to express emotion, the pericardium. Okay. Um, so... We talked about, I think, in one of our other episodes about there are different elements that are associated with different organs. I have to take a sip. See, this is the disadvantage of not having Rob. <laughs> See, I'll make the jokes. You take the sip. Yeah, it's all good. I'll make more. I got to come with more pothole yes. jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so the element associated with the heart is fire. And kind of when we were talking about the smoking before, one interesting thing is, is that most people think of the lungs being impacted by smoking, but the heart is impacted as well. And I had a teacher who described it this way. So the lung is a metal, is associated with metal, but the heart is associated with fire. So if you're smoking, you're taking fire in to the lungs and the lungs kind of sit sure. on either side of the heart. So you're surrounding the heart with fire and kind of assaulting it with extra fire. It's like being in a really bad mosh pit people yes, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry so but and so and I also talked we've also talked about with our listeners that 
different emotions are associated with different meridians and, and um, organ systems. So the heart and the pericardium are associated with joy. So when the heart and the pericardium are healthy and they're functioning the right way, people experience joy. They, they find that they have inspiration in their lives. They are more insightful. They are aware of what's going on, aware of their lives. They can express compassion, those sorts of things. That's so cool. I, I never knew that. Yeah. That's actually kind of cool. But when it's not healthy, it can it can show up as um, a lack of joy, something that we've always, we refer to as inappropriate joy. So like something terrible happens, and instead of allowing, let's say, grief to happen, mm-hmm. there's this inappropriate laughter that happens. And it almost seems like a maniacal kind of laughter that doesn't fit with where it's supposed to be. See, now that's weird because, like, I, I, I have a normal sense of humor, but I also have a pretty dark sense of humor at times. I don't think it's like a dark sense of humor, though. Well, it's, it's confusing. So I was like, huh, is it like, no. oh, is me laughing at a really something? Never mind. No. I won't go into too much so, detail there. I won't out myself. No, I, so to out myself, there are certain movies that are probably considered by other people to be not comedic movies. Yeah that we watch in our house and consider them to be comedic movies. Yeah, I got a couple of those. <laughs> so, and I don't know that that unhealthy uh, an unhealthy expression of the heart maybe just a dark sense of humor. Yeah. So like I this is the what side of medicine is this again? This is the This is Asian medicine. This is the Asian Chinese side medicine. Of Chinese medicine. Yeah, so traditional Asian medicine. That this is a, it's so wild to hear the vastly like Well, and so when I think of the Western approach to emotion, I think th- they treat it more from like a brain perspective where a lot of the emotional stuff has a heart component to it, like depression and, and anxiety. And there's almost always a heart involvement in it. And they don't really talk about that in Western mm. medicine at all. I mean, there there's that sense of um, when you see someone who, let's say, there, I think you see it more in men where the wife passes away and then the husband dies shortly after and they say he died of a broken heart. That's They're not the, far off. Right. That, it, it's true, but that's the only time I feel like I've ever really heard that heart connection to an um, to like know, an actual thing other than happening. like on Valentine's Day and they say that love comes from the heart, but I feel like we talk about it far more than, than Western medicine does. Wow. Um, if there's unhealthy heart energy, also sometimes there's an Ill- inability to experience joy. Like you just feel like you can't find the joy in your life, that sort of emotion. Um, and then in Asian medicine, they talk about um, each organ system has its own spirit or like energetics to it different than the movement of energy in the body. So the spirit of the heart is called the Shen, and the Shen is like the ruler of all the different spirits. So they say that like you can see someone's Shen or their vitality when you look in their, you know, in their, in their face, in their eyes. So like, I always think of like, 
This is so terrible. No, like when you look at the serial killer who has that, like you're like just the, the dead look in their yeah, face. The like there's are, no soul. Yes. Like lights are on, but nobody's home. Yes. Mm-hmm. That to me is like the Shen just is is checked out. It's like, it's no. like nah, I'm good. I, you guys could deal with this. Yeah, I'm good. it's not there. Damn. So um, some of the signs that we see for in patients um, when the heart element or the Shen is sort of out of balance are things like palpitations and with palpitations I feel like I usually ask my patients if you know is it like a fluttery kind of feeling or is it like like a a banging yeah like my heart's going to explode out of my chest and you know not to get too much into it because people will be like what they just get treated differently it's it's a different pattern but they're both related to the heart it's just a different they would have a a different different treatment plan when they came in um, irregular heart rhythms, insomnia. A lot of times is actually linked to the heart energy. It's like that they say that the shen gets restless and and just can't settle, um, and not like the deranged maniacal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Different... I didn't mean to laugh when I was. No. <laughs> for those who don't know, I was off screen, kind of like trying not to giggle, but I was like, oh no, there's this, there's a science to it. Just listen. Yes. <laughs> um, so a lot of times that becomes a component of it. And and these things can exist, they can coexist. Most of the time, these things don't exist in a cute little package that all you're treating is somebody's heart. There's usually other patterns that are going on that have to be treated simultaneously. It's like there's a list of boxes you got to check first yes. before we come to the conclusion that this is an issue. Right. Okay. I, I always say it's like peeling off the layers of the onion and seeing like which ones you need to, what goes where, and you peel off this layer and something else might be going on with another yeah. part of it or the insomnia, you're treating the heart, but it's also coming from somewhere else. So that has to be treated. So okay. um, people can see dream disturbed sleep. Like they're having nightmares, they're they're restless, they're not getting a really good night's sleep. Um, anxiety, uh, inability to concentrate. Now there's two contrasting sides to the next one. Somebody who's overly talkative, they talk fast or they're like super loud talkers. They say that the heart element is out of balance. But you can also have the other opposite end of the spectrum of heart out of balance where the person is super timid, they're really easily startled, um, and that sort of thing. Um, Hyperactivity, like I can't settle down, can can be a heart issue in our medicine. Um, Abnormal sweating. So sweating linked to... um, let's say someone who's going through menopause, a lot of times there's a heart component to that that we have to treat really? amongst other things. But yeah, usually some kind of heart energy comes in with it. Um, people can have the sensation of like their limbs being cold, which is that also kind of ties into circulation issues with oh, Western yeah. medicine. Um, depression. I, I, I find that there's always a heart component when I'm treating depression where like Western medicine comes in and it's just like your solutions are talk therapy and antidepressants. Sometimes there are other things going on that play into it, but there's almost always a heart component that needs to be treated. Wow. Um, chest discomfort, chest tightness. Um, I 
find a lot of, I see a lot of patients with stress and anxiety that they get this tightness in their chest and that when you needle like points that are in the center, that for the acupuncturist, a lot of our colleagues listen, kidney points and point them outward, it kind of relaxes the chest and opens it up a little bit and allows that sense of calm. Um, and, and any kind of difficulty in expressing and feeling emotions. If there's like a creativity getting stunted, a lot of times there's a, like almost like you describe it as the person has lost their passion for things mm -hmm. and that that's going on. So ways that people who are at home thinking, oh my gosh, I have these things, what can I do? Um, I'm finding a lot of patients, let's say, let's take insomnia are instead of like shutting down before bed, like an hour before bed, they're on their phone and then they're like, okay, it's, it's 11 o'clock. It's time for me to go to bed. And now their mind can't quiet because they just got off their phone. So taking like, even if you start with just, okay, half an hour before I'm going to go to bed, I'm not going to do that. I'll maybe read a book instead, or I'll lay down and try and meditate for a little bit. I'm, trying to actually ease yourself into the sleep process instead of just yes. abruptly jumping into it. Right. And I find a lot of people are hesitant to, you know, incorporate meditation because they th they have this preconceived notion of what meditation is supposed to be. So for me, I, like I always say that you could take, you know, just a moment and do like the deep calm, I call it the deep calming breath technique. And a lot of acupuncturists will share this where you're just like, I'm going to breathe in to the count of four and exhale to the count of four. And you repeat this like three or four times and it just kind of, it, it can't help but make you calm. Um, and then like if you're n totally new to meditation and you feel like you've been fighting it, there are apps that you can download on your phone. So I love Insight Timer. It's a free app. I tell my patients to download it on their phone, start with a few minutes. They have guided meditations. They have just music. It can be whatever you want it to be. It's, you know, it doesn't have to be like, oh, it's this chore and... Um, and I have the Calm app on my phone, which is another one that has guided meditations that you can use. In fact, my son's, um, he's in like an advanced foods class mm -hmm. and his teacher starts with like a meditation at the beginning of the class. I know because when he's at, when they're, I think that here, would make school way better Yeah, if every class could start with a little bit of meditation, which I, oddly enough, you kind of do in gym yeah. now that I think about it. Because they would do, like, these low-key breathing exercises because we also did have, like, a yoga class at my high school, but whatever. But, yeah, that's actually really, really cool. Yeah, see, you're younger than me. I don't. I didn't have that in gym class. They, well, fun. they tried forcing it on us, and <laughs> most of us just saw it as nap time, to be completely honest with you. But even that, like, that calming break during the day, it, it, it's very beneficial. Um. One of the things that people might not want to do is look at the quality and integrity of their friendships and relationships. Are they causing stress? Are they making your life better? Are they making it not better? So, and, and it's not so easy to... To reflect on your friendships. Right. Yeah, it's not fun, but sometimes it's... Sometimes least, you have to. Yeah. Um. Working on trusting your intuition, 
and can and a better connection to self. I think a lot of times different situations with anxiety and stress come from not feeling connected to yourself. So doing those breathing exercises, it forces you to reconnect with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also sometimes tell my patients to use um, a Bach flower essence called Rescue Remedy. If you just put like a couple drops into water or a couple drops under your tongue, that tends to ease anxiety. And they have specific, like I'm not fully trained in it, but you can go to someone who practices and they can make custom formulas for you that are in it. They're just little tinctures, drops that you put under your tongue. So it's very cool. Just too cool to have. Yeah. Um, And then a lot of acupuncturists, um, myself included, do mini sessions where there's like maybe... 10 acupuncture points that they do. Sometimes it's just in the ears. Um, I do one that it was taught to me with the name, the Buddha's Buddha, where it was like three points in the ear, three points in the wrist, three points in the ankle, and you zigzagged on the body. And so there were each these little triangles of needles, and then they all made one big triangle. Um, And they're quick little tiny sessions of treatments. Like when someone comes in for a full treatment at my office, I'm taking their pulse. I'm looking at their tongue in a pre-COVID and hopefully post-COVID world. Yeah. (laughs) Not so much now. Um, And I'm shifting and changing what points I do. These little mini sessions are like just specific to stress. And most, most practitioners do the same points and they just all call it their own little thing. Like a, like a mini stress busting session. I call mine a moment of Zen. And they just kind of reframe it, make it their own little happy go lucky thing. Okay. Exactly. Um, And they're great just for like, if someone is coming for regular treatments and they're feeling like it's a more stressful week, they can schedule like a mini session to get them through to the next session. If there's more stress and different things going on in their life. And it's not as involved. I'm assuming it's, it's, it's like it covers the basics. Yeah. It's like a, Five minutes to put the needles in, you're on the table for like 30 minutes, and then you're out the door. Whereas when somebody comes in for a full session, I'm asking a lot of questions. So it might be 15 minutes of asking questions and putting needles in and asking questions and putting needles in at the same time. Only because I've never had it. How long is a typical acupuncture session? Like a major one, like the one you're talking about, where full back full of needles and stuff Well, like that. so my normal sessions, I book for an hour. It's about 45 minutes, and that's time to put the needles in, time to lay on the table, and time to take them out. Sometimes longer if I do things like cupping. If I do, there's a technique called gua sha where you scrape along the muscles. So sometimes that takes a little bit longer. Just depends on what's going on. Typically, if somebody has back pain, I'm adding those other therapies in to try and loosen up the back a little bit more. Okay. Um, not that I'm going to get into GYN stuff tonight, but there is a component of the heart that's involved in gynecological disorders. So obviously the heart is responsible for circulating the blood, but they say it also sends energy to the uterus to promote the movement of blood. So sometimes in fertility issues, I have to look to the heart and say, what's going on there? That is there something impeding the process of what's going on fertility wise, but we're, I'm going to do a whole other episode on fertility, so I don't want to get too into that it's, right There's now. a lot to unpack. Right. Um, and then 
as I said before, antidepressants, um, they have their place. Um, every practitioner is different. I feel like if a patient needs that little extra boost to get them through something emotional, then they should be on that. Yeah, it's what you're saying isn't necessarily like, oh, you should be doing this instead of going on antidepressants. Right. This is like, this could also be an alternative, but if you really do need it, right. like you should go on it. This isn't right. the anti that. Exactly. And and I feel like if you're if you've had a traumatic event and you can't get out of bed and and you can't get out of bed and it's two weeks after that traumatic event, you probably need a little something to get you through. So you do that while you're doing the acupuncture to get you through and then you phase out of the antidepressant. But mm -hmm. they do make you flat. Like they kind of not all of them and there's different levels and, and each antidepressant, you know, depending on who the person is, is specific to the person. Um, some work better for people. Some find that they don't, you know, they have to sometimes jump around from one to the other. But they kind of, I always say it like levels it out. Um, I prefer Even to the playing field. Yes. Um, but if it's three years after a traumatic event and you're kind of trying to push it down and not process it you need to figure out how to process it whether it's working with a therapist i feel like just the antidepressants by themselves are not necessarily a good thing hmm. um and there are people who do need them because of chemical imbalances which is different no amount of talking to a therapist is going to change that you need to be on something because there's a chemical imbalance um but i do i, I mean i think everybody needs therapy i always say that i'm like Everyone needs to have a therapist. Every, no, there's not one person that I'd be like. No, yeah, you're good. You're it doesn't happen. Everybody needs it. Everyone who works and goes through life needs at someone right. to vent to at one point or another. Exactly. So that's a little bit about the heart. I know. I feel like we went through it super, super quick because it was kind of just me like lecturing to you. Kristen. Hey, no, it's all good. There were some things in there that I didn't even know about. Yeah. Like the I didn't. Well, I didn't know there were such vast differences in the styles of medicines, yeah. which I find so fascinating because it's it's just. Well, for one, it's just so cool. Like, it's just, it's always awesome to hear different perspectives on anything. But for, yeah. especially with medicine, it's like, oh, especially when it could come to healing yeah. my old, my ticker. This is yes. great. <laughs> what what I also think is interesting is that, um, and, you know, Rob and I have said this before, is that people don't realize that we have to be well-versed in both. Yeah. So, like, if someone comes in and I think mm, they have more going on with their heart i need to be able to recognize that so people don't realize that we have to study both western and traditional asian medicine whether you know really? you, i resonate more with like i'm a gentle needler which I, i'm told that's more japanese style needling um but we have to know the other aspects of it we have to know so that when someone comes in and says i have this this and this that you don't just stare at them like yeah, what that is. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not an expert. Like I said, I'm not an expert in cardiology. Um, but it's the month, and you want yes, to at I least wanted, get these points across. Exactly. And mm. we'll probably have somebody who does specialize more in, like, the emotional health aspect of it on at a later time. But I, it was important for me to, to yeah, get those points out. Yeah, because it's important because you work in a medical field, especially with acupuncture, where it's like, okay, I recognize some some kind of scary signs. I want right. I hope you go see this person. Right. Cuz exactly. like I can only do so much. Exactly. And not so. even in a bad way. Like that's no. that's awesome. 
even within my own specialty, like, I, so my specialty is gynecology. I, I treat endometriosis. I like treating fertility. Knowing that, so my specialty, there's no cure for endometriosis. Acupuncture and herbs help it immensely, but I can't treat someone by myself with that. I feel like they need to have a really good GYN who specializes in endometriosis that I can work with to give this person the best. Not so, someone who's fighting with you be like, no, you shouldn't be prescribing right. this. Okay. And we're going to do a whole episode on that in March because it's March is MS Awareness Month and it's um, Endometriosis Awareness Month. So we're going to have episodes on both of those things in March. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I don't see that we have any questions. You just had a hello earlier, but if you have a question, please uh, leave it in the comments because there's only so many I can ask. (laughs) Just like Logan's run. Just like Logan's run. It is. It's just like Logan's run. But yeah, send them questions, people. Come on. This is interesting stuff here. Truly, though, it really is because they're. It's kind of funny how I'm thinking back to like high school health class and stuff like that. And there, you just said a few things in there where I was like, huh, I did not learn that in class. Right. That's probably not a great sign, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and same thing in school. There's only so much that they can teach. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm being too harsh on my health teachers. Shout out to you, Miss Johnson. You were the best. <laughs> All right. Since there aren't any other questions, I'm going to do my wrap up speech. Um, I just want to remind everyone that the Practical Medicine Podcast is now available on Spotify, Pandora, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, and YouTube, as well as being able to watch the replays right here on Facebook. Make sure you're following us on Instagram, that you have liked and followed us on Facebook. You can find information about both my practice and Dr. Rob's practice through our Linktree page, um, the Practical Medicine Podcast podcast link tree page um and if you don't already know we switched from every other week to weekly recordings our upcoming episodes are episode 14 is dr daryl is going to talk to us about acupuncture and pregnancy as i said march is endometriosis awareness month so i'm going to talk about that we are going to have a guest talk about multiple sclerosis that's dr melanie caton Um, And then we're going to have Juliet Ayana talking about eczema. Uh, My mentor, Dr. Martha Lucas, is going to talk about self-care. And then we're going to end March with Daniel Bernstein talking about insomnia. And I think that's all I have for tonight. So thanks, everyone, for listening to me talking to Christian. And I appreciate Christian bouncing jokes off of me. No problem. And we will see everyone next week. The contents presented during the Practical Medicine Podcast include information about various modalities that exist to achieve health and wellness and are for informational purposes only. You acknowledge and agree that the following disclaimers and warnings shall apply to all content presented. The podcast contains the opinions of Dr. Robert Balco, D-A-C-L-A-C, and Dr. Stephanie Lipnicki, D-A-C-M-L-A-C, and the guests of their show. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding any medical condition. The views expressed in the Practical Medicine Podcast are our own and do not represent those of all licensed acupuncture professionals. Always seek the help of your own acupuncturist or medical provider to determine your best course of action. You may want to use the information presented as a supplement to better understand your diagnosis or treatment, but it should not be the sole thing that you use to make important medical decisions. Do not use the content of the podcast in lieu of medical advice. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking care because of something you have heard on this podcast. Privacy is important to us. Thus, all people, places, and scenarios have been changed where applicable to protect privacy and maintain confidentiality.